Well, hey, uh, good morning. Are you well this morning? A couple of you are well. The other of you are not. Okay, that's all right. Hey, uh, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Jude. We've been systematically working through the book of Jude uh, as a church. Uh, And for the last two months, we've managed to make our way through eight verses. That is it. Uh, We've literally taken such time and slowly worked through this book And uh, we ended in verse 13 last week. We're going to pick up in 14 today. But there's a couple things that I want to make sure we understand in Jude and and, and what he's writing. Because we know from verse 3 and 4 a couple of things. In verse 3, Jude wasn't planning on on writing what he writes, but he, he he found it necessary to contend for the faith that's been delivered to us. Why would we do that? And, and why did he change the theme of his letter? Because of verse 4. There, there's people that have crept their way in unnoticed, and they've taken this faith, this grace that comes from Jesus, and the ESV would say they've perverted it. It means to transpose it into unbridled lust and desire. I want you to notice something from verse 3 before we open verse 14. Notice how Jude says, contend for the faith. Not your faith, not my faith, but the faith. See, in in Jude's culture, much like our culture, the faith in Christ became subjective. It it was based and influenced by feeling and taste and opinions. And we've got to understand something as we unpack some of Jude this morning. There is one faith in Jesus Christ, and it's it's not subjective. It's objective. And it's been delivered once and for all to us. Now, I want you to hear me. That that doesn't mean that uh, diversity and and expression and creativity and and culture isn't welcome in the kingdom. It is welcome. But what Jude is saying is that when we take this common salvation, this one faith that we all have in Christ, and we transpose it, we, we, we make it benefit only us, it gets really, really messy. And it doesn't just get messy for you. It gets painful and difficult for the people around you. He's been giving us example after example after example for the last few months. We talked about the history of Israel and, and what a mess it caused for people in, in, in this dysfunction. Uh, Jude will, will, will mention Sodom and Gomorrah, which, man, if you, you've ever read that story, it's a horrific story. He, he talked about angels leaving their rightful place of authority and performing ungodly acts with humanity. We walked through Cain and Korah and Balaam and how, how, how much of a mess it caused for not just them, but for the people around them. Last week, Pastor Gary took us through all these symbols that Jude is using, like hidden reefs and waterless clouds and shepherds feeding only themselves. And Jude's going to give us his final example in his letter in verse 14. So turn with me in your Bibles, Jude, this is verse 14 says this, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. 
So Jude is actually quoting from First Enoch in this, which would have been extremely familiar literature for the Jewish people. And I want to talk about Enoch for a couple of reasons. One, because Jude uh, quotes him. Two, because we find him in, in Genesis 5. But I don't want to lose focus of, of what Jude is saying. Enoch is prophesying to the world around him, and, and he sees ungodliness. He uses that word four times. It gets almost repetitive to read it, ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. This word, it means to be emptied of holiness and worship to God. If you go to Genesis 5, you can read through uh, the lineage of, of Adam. And we know that uh, Enoch had Methuselah. And Methuselah had Lamech. And Enoch's great-grandson, which is from Lamech, was a famous Bible character named Noah. So Enoch is prophesying to the world around him. Just a few generations after that, the Lord would come and, and flood the earth. I want you to understand this. This is a very extreme example that Jude is using to communicate what he sees in the world around him, even from verse 4. What it looks like when you take this faith and you transpose it only for the benefit of yourself. And, and for Jude to use such extreme examples for the last few months that we've been studying. He really just levels the playing field in verse 16. Go to verse 16. This is no longer Enoch. This is Jude. He says this. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. It may have been easy for us to kind of put aside some of these extreme examples that we've been working through for the last few months. Because, I mean, some of them are crazy. I mean, we talked about Balaam's donkey talking to him, right? And maybe you were like, I just don't really know how I'm going to connect with that or, or what that means for me. But at the end of the day, there's, there's nobody in this room who's never complained or boasted or blame somebody, or, or shown favoritism just for your personal advantage. We're all included in this. And there's a couple of realities that I think we need to understand from Jude's letter. The first one is this. To take the faith in Christ, to take our common salvation, and transpose it in, into whatever will benefit you, will absolutely invite grumbling and complaining and blaming in your life. And this is the difficult thing about understanding this common salvation and this one faith that we share, because it's personal. You have a personal intimacy with God, and it's so beautiful. He draws out the image that he's placed inside of you. He draws out Christ from you. But this faith that we're all pursuing, this common salvation, it's not just stayed personal. It's become very individual. In fact, it, it's so inward focused that now we live in a time where people are filled with division and, and there's no unity. We, we live in a fractured group of people, even in the body of Christ, where opinions have become gospel. The second thing is this, to take this common salvation that we all share, this one faith in Christ, to make it so inward focused where we transpose it only for the benefit of ourself, it not only robs other people from seeing Christ in you, but it can actually destroy them. It can really, really hurt them. It can cause you to, to step into life patterns very similar to Cain or, or Balaam or, or Korah. 
It, it can cause you to have the appearance of a cloud but offer no rain for people. And it's, it's really dangerous. So now that Jude's really just leveled the playing field, like, hey, we've got to have a conversation about it. And I want to ask you a question. What do you think that church is for today? What do you think? Is it just a, an old tradition that we still do? Is it just this you know, self-help supplement that we add to our life and other things as well? And more than this, do you have a role in the church or if you happen to like church, great. But if you don't like it, I mean, it, it is what it is. See, some of us in the culture that we live in, we treat church and the bride of Christ like a restaurant. And I want you to hear me when I say this. We find a restaurant that serves only the food that we like. And we sit down, we, we order this custom meal just for ourselves that serves the appetite that we have in that moment. And we sit, we eat, we connect, we pay, and then we leave. But the problem with, with treating the church, the bride of Christ, like this is at some point in life, you're going to find a restaurant that you don't really like. It's got bad service, the food is not, I mean, it's fine, it's average, but there's a couple things I can get off the menu, but at the end of the day, like overall, it's just, I don't like it. Even if you went to the best restaurant in the world, you could probably go there and find people that you really don't get along with, the seat wasn't quite high enough for you, or it was too short, or whatever it might be, and something is wrong with this restaurant, so now what? Because at the end of the day, a lot of us in this room have been really wounded and affected by people that have operated like a Cain or a Balaam or a Korah. A, a lot of us in this room, we saw somebody, maybe a leader, maybe a group, maybe a person, maybe, maybe a church, and it had this appearance of a cloud. And, and you took your family and yourself and you actually placed yourself underneath it and you waited and you waited and you waited, but it never rained. And it gutted you. I mean, it just, ah, oh, it was so painful. You knew it was going to provide fruit and rain for your family, but man, it just didn't. And you're devastated, rightfully so. But here's the thing that I'm, I'm so challenged with in, in church culture. It, if you got hurt in, in the physical, you wouldn't stay hurt. Even if it wasn't your fault. If you went outside today and, and you got in a car accident and, and you broke your leg and it, it wasn't your fault, you wouldn't just say, yeah, I'll just walk it off for a few years. No big deal. No, you'd go to the doctor. You'd have surgery on your leg if you needed it. You'd do physical therapy so that you could begin to walk again and run and you could, you could do everything that your leg was functioned to do. But for some reason in, in church culture, We've become so comfortable. It's a common thing just to walk around with old church hurt and old church wounds. And we either begin to reject it or we step into this complaining and grumbling. See, this is, this is such a, a close question and topic for me as a, as a pastor. Because to stand here and, and tell you, that I'm a pastor who, who not only loves the local church 
and not just vintage. I mean, I love vintage, but local churches across the world, I don't just love the local church. I actually believe in your capacity and your capability on earth. I do. And to say that I'm here and I, I truly believe that is beyond anything I ever would have thought. Because, man, I, my desire and hunger for the Lord probably around 16 or 17, just began to multiply. I mean, I just wanted to be so close to the Lord. I wanted to know him. I wanted to hear him. I would do anything just to get to know him deeper. But even my wife, who I met in Bible college, she would tell you today, yeah, his love and passion for the Lord, man, it's always been there. It's always growing. But his view of, of the church, it's not always been the same. Something has shifted in him. See, when I, when I went to Bible college, I began to see and experience the very thing that Jude is writing about. I, I saw a lot of really good people get taken out. And to say that I experienced hurt or dysfunction from the church, it, it doesn't even feel like it justifies what really happened. And I found myself in a season where I was so in love with God. I mean, I just still, I still wanted to know him. I knew it had nothing to do with God. But man, when it came to the church and the people of God, I'm good. I mean, it's just messy. It's dysfunctional. It's all over the place. Like, why would you do this? Or why wouldn't you do this? And what's interesting about this season for me was I actually began stepping into the very thing that Jude's writing. My faith was awesome in the Lord, but it became so individual. I began pointing fingers. Why would you do it that? How could you do it this way? Shouldn't you try this? I began pointing and blaming and becoming so hardened towards the people of God. But we've got to know something, church. Jude would not have written this letter if he didn't believe that we have a role in the church, and if he didn't believe in the people of God coming together and contending for this common salvation that we all share. He wouldn't. He would have just become passive. He would have just spoken of maybe this common salvation and, and that's it. But he doesn't. He speaks of the really difficult things. He pulls up a lot of examples that remind us of hurt and pain and, and dysfunction. See, there's this belief in our culture, a belief that was in me, that people at the church or from the church can't or won't hurt you. They just, it's not possible. It's a real belief. It's this unmet expectation that the enemies put in our minds that somehow or somewhere there's a church out there that's just perfect. Like it's, it's out there and somewhere I'll, I'll get to it. But the problem is when we actually experience dysfunction or hurt from the church, we either throw it away or we step into grumbling and complaining. I have to suggest something. The only place that you will experience no hurt and no dysfunction from people is in heaven. And I want you to hear me when I say this. Jesus would say, I want you to pray on earth as it is in heaven. I very much believe that heaven can invade earth, that we can lay hands on the sick, that we can see them recover, that we are called to step into the supernatural. I want you to hear me very clearly. And Jude is, is not justifying this. He's not. 
He's not justifying that it's okay that there's dysfunction. In fact, it meant so much to him that he changed the theme of what he was writing. This is a big deal to him. And to believe this myth that somewhere out there, there's just this perfect thing, it's to forget what he's saying. Because in verse 17, go with me to Jude 17. He says this, But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. So Jude, who has so boldly and carefully taken us through example after example after example of what this looks like, he finally says, hey, don't be surprised when you see it. Like they told us that this was going to happen. Don't be surprised. He's now going to come back to our role in the church. See, he starts with contending in, in verse 3, and he's really going to end with it as well. Go to verse 20. He says this, but you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. We don't have time to unpack these last few verses. In fact, I'm excited for Pastor Greg to really dive in and really unpack what this is saying. But we have to begin to see Jude's invitation in his letter. For some of us in this room, there's an invitation to let things die in your life. Grumbling, complaining, blaming people. Some of us in this last season have found ourselves in, in groups of people and all we've done is talk about what the church should be doing or what the church shouldn't be doing. And it's not actually our role in the scriptures. It's not a biblical idea. There is nowhere in the scriptures that you will find it's appropriate or you're invited to grumble and complain and blame. You won't find it. Some of us are, are, are living from generational wounds towards people that we're still walking in today. And maybe it hurts so bad and it's caused you to step into this season of like so frustrated at the church or the people of God. Can I just say that when we step into that mindset, when we begin complaining and, and blaming people, it's the very thing that Jude's writing about. It just goes over and over and over and over again. I think for some of us in the room, there's an invitation to let things come to life, to build up, to encourage, to, to pray with power, to, to constantly be looking for mercy to extend to other people. I understand the invitation that Jude has for us because I've walked it myself. And sometimes the reality is you got into a position where you were right and they were wrong or vice versa. But at the end of the day, dear friends, Vintage City Church, man, build each other up. Pray with power over people. Constantly extend mercy to one another. 
If you've been waiting for the world to give you a sign that we need unity in the church, my goodness, it's been presented. We are the most divided people group. Do we understand that? And it's a common salvation. It's one faith in Jesus. I understand that it's messy. It is. It's difficult. But we have to begin stepping in to encouraging to extending mercy, to praying with power. It's not just for the church. The world is watching. The world is looking. Some of us think that in our faith it's become so individual that maybe you found this new answer. You haven't. It's been thousands of years. We're still here. It's one faith in Jesus. It hasn't changed. It's the same thing. We have to step into it. It's not just this individual faith that you have with God and that's it. No, it's this external thing that happens where you literally allow Christ to manifest inside of you and you do things that would seem supernatural. You extend mercy when the world around you wouldn't. And I know you're right. I know it was hurtful. I know what happened wasn't fair. But man, we are not called to group up complain and point fingers. We're just called to let his image and Christ reflect in us. We're not called to point at other images and say, well, why aren't you reflecting in the way that I think you should? Look around this room for just a second. Just look around. Do you understand that there are people in this room that are waiting for you to build them up and encourage them, that are waiting for you to pray with power, to extend mercy to them. Church, I believe in you. I do. I, I, I so believe in coming together. I, maybe it's through the pandemic or, or whatever it might be. I have just found, I don't think there's any other solution. I so believe in the people of God coming together, contending for heaven to invade. I, I am so in. I love it. It's beautiful. But it can't just stay individual. It's got to overflow from your life. Will you stand with me? I just want to pray over you. Jesus, if it's hearts that need to repent, would your kindness just invade and lead us into repentance? We love you. We adore you. Would you show us what it looks like to be your hands and feet, to be the church in this time and in this season? We're so thankful for your word that brings correction and, and life and teaching, God. And I just ask that, man, that your face would shine upon us, that in our conversations this week, you'd speak to us. And show us what it looks like to be the church today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.